Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Where do you find the audacity? We just watched Kevin Durant, the second best player in the universe, have the best game of his life, carbon copy his dagger from last year's finals, almost down to the second in this year's finals, basically giving Golden State a 3-0 lead for the second straight year. And I'm looking at your rundown, and the episode is titled (laughs) The Rodney Hood Game in all caps. And the first nine questions are about Rodney Hood. Who do you think you are? Look, man, uh, we don't have to answer all the Rodney Hood questions, but it was a big night for the podcast, for the open floor community. It was a journey for all of us, you know? Not you. You were hating every step of the way, including Wednesday night when after the first quarter you sent me Rodney Hood's plus minus at the end of his like four minutes there, snickering at me, (laughs) ready to tell your jokes. But look, who's laughing now? Tell me, Ben. You have to admit Rodney Hood showed out, okay? He got the opportunity. He made the most of it. I feel vindicated. Andrew, he had the worst plus minus of anyone in the entire game last night, minus 12. You know what, man? (laughs) We got like three or four emails citing that stat, and if that's what you want to focus on (laughs) after that Cavs game, (laughs) Rodney Hood was playing the fucking Warriors, okay? Everybody has a bad plus minus against them. I think he, he legitimately had a really nice night. Okay, and should we talk? Should we talk about the historic greatness of Kevin Durant at all during this podcast, or do we want to just bury this joke for another year and a half? Okay, congratulations, Roddy. What do you make? Four or five shots? I mean, like, what, what kind of well, kindergarten are we running here? Are we just handing out you know participation trophies, or what is this? It, here we go. Let's. We'll, we'll have one question from Jonah, and then we can move to Durant. Jonah says, "So, Andrew." It happened. Well, it almost happened. Three points shy of the 18 you required for an emergency Rodney Hood podcast. But nonetheless, he proved that he was worthy of getting a chance to play in this series. I just want to know, though, how frustrating is it that the only reason Hood will be remembered from that finals game is from a clip of Kevin Durant hitting a clutch deep three in front of him to seal game three? I look forward to hearing if you see this as a per- personal success for Hood or nothing at all. Um, it really was kind of a perfect night for the Open Floor podcast because we had Rodney Hood finally having his breakout moment. Uh, 15 points, 6 rebounds, 7 of 11 shooting. It was a nice little game. We don't have to make too much of a big deal about it, but it was solid. And then, of course, we had... Kevin Durant, the role player, had his second great game in the playoffs. So oh, it was a big night for you, get too. Out of here. It was oh. a perfect night for the Open Floor Podcast because we settled the Durant versus Curry debate once and for all. We had Ty Lue <laughs> weigh in. We had Kevin Love weigh in. We had LeBron James weigh in. Uh, and we had the facts weigh in. I mean, on the worst shooting night of Steph Curry's postseason career, Kevin Durant carried him for the third straight game in the finals. And, you know, he's probably been Golden State's best player in all but maybe two or three games of this playoff run to me he should win finals mvp uh there's really no question about it. he's been their most consistent guy but look in terms of rodney hood being kind of embarrassed by katie on that last shot 
Look, he was not the only person who got torched by KD. If you go back through the highlights, KD scored on George Hill, Kyle Korver, Kevin Love, LeBron James, Jeff Green. Anyone in a Cavaliers jersey, KD was scoring over. And I love this whole thing of, oh, the NBA, modern basketball. It's all about isolating and and trying to find the mismatches. Here's the mismatch. Anyone trying to guard Kevin Durant (laughs) in game three, that was the mismatch. He was pulling up over everyone. My favorite shot from that game was actually not – when he stuck the three-pointer over Hood and, and J.R. Smith there at the end. But it was his uh-huh. pull-up mid-range going left uh, jumper over Kevin Love where Kevin Love grabbed his head as if he had just seen a car crash <laughs> because Katie had just scored over him yet again. And, you know, so I guess it was a, a pretty nice night uh, for open floor. It was. And by the way, that was my point with the plus-minus thing. It's like there are certain times where all you can do is throw up your hands and be like, I don't know what you do with the Warriors. And and Hood was out there for a number of sequences where Golden State just got rolling. And some of it was on Jeff Green and Kevin Love, and, which isn't even on those guys because, like— they're completely overmatched against this team. And so it was just, it was a tough night for Cleveland. I will say, I had so much fun watching that game. Like, I was sitting next to uh, John Schumann from NBA.com, and I don't know him very well, and he definitely does not listen to this podcast. So at one point, I was, I was like legitimately clapping, and I think I fist pumped after a hood bucket. And Schumann kind of looked over me like, "What the hell is going on here?" But uh, but I was into it, and I was very into the Cavs somehow winning that game because I think that would have taken the the random hood performance to a whole other level. Um, But jokes aside, and we can move to Durant in a second. I really was genuinely happy for Hood, and we've been kind of screwing around. But he's been through a lot, and this has been kind of a nightmare three months for him. And it was very cool to see him finally come through. And just in general, like I said this earlier in the week, I continue to be impressed with this broken shell of a Cavs team because these games have no business being close at all. But if you if you want to give Cleveland credit, I think you have to admit that, like, they're pushing Golden State just enough to force the Warriors to be awesome. Um, and that's what Durant did last night. And I think the Durant performance doesn't happen if Cleveland doesn't come out and like play their ass oh off. Oh, my God. Despite You're going to give the Rodney Hood the credit for Kevin Durant's game. Are <laughs> I you know, I, I pretty much am. <laughs> well, look. 100%. I don't even know what to do with you. So, first of all, I'm not going to narc you out to the NBA League office for cheering on Prestro, even though that is just an ab- abomination. <laughs> However, we know that we've got some friends in the League office who listen to this podcast. Guys, I, you know, just might consider deactivating his credential for Game 4, okay? Like, this guy's going to come back even worse, I'm sure, uh, as the series moves forward. That's all right. I'll get a family pass from Rodney Hood. I'll be straight. Oh, you'll be in the wives and girlfriends section and, and sharp cheering louder with more face paint than anybody in the, the entire uh, 100 level. Fantastic. Uh, no, your your general sentiment about Hood and, and sort of you know having a little breakthrough there, I think was right. I mean, in all seriousness, yeah. it was cool to see. Because it was a human thing that he was going through. I mean, there like a lot of that adversity was very real, and there were there were mental blocks that he was dealing with, and, oh, and he owned it. He just too. didn't respond very I mean, well. He, yeah, he, and he owned, he owned it. it too. He screwed up and not going into the game at one point. He was talking about how he's trying to get his confidence back, watching his own YouTube clips, you know. And I, I picture you, you know, going back to our top 
100 argument episode and listening back to when you're really like, you know, lashing into me over Devin Booker anytime, you know, you're feeling down in the dump so you can get your your best highlights and get your <laughs> mind right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, like, it, it was nice to see. But I do want to push back on one thing because you're trying to okay. soften the blow towards Cleveland. You know, if, if you want to give them credit, they're trying hard. I felt like the combination of the game one loss and the game three loss, you know, all of the momentum and hype early in that game from Cleveland's crowd, uh, the triple double for LeBron, Rodney Hood, you know, showing up kind of right on cue after everyone had been hyping it and, and mocking it for a couple of days. And then to lose like they did at the end, I almost wonder if it hurts so much that they don't even want to hear the, oh, good job trying hard. You know, we really appreciate your effort. Like, I, I wonder if that just falls yeah. on deaf ears, you know? I think that's probably how like actual Cavs fans feel about it because some of these losses have been a little bit brutal and also this is a team that was legitimately like winning a title 2 years ago and so lowering the bar to like oh they tried hard is kind of deflating I'm sure but I think for any neutral observer who watched the Cavs all year like this team was such a mess and even like if you go back a couple weeks ago you and I talking about the Celtics series and some of those losses where they just looked like they hated each other. Everyone was exhausted. And I give them credit because that's not how the losses have felt. Like they've really kind of banded together and they've been fighting their ass off. And it, it isn't anywhere near enough <laughs> to, to really hang with this Warriors team. But the, the games have been a lot more fun than they have any right to be. And, uh, and so I've been impressed. Yeah, I mean, to me, the sense after that game was kind of resignation, right? It's sort of what you were saying, like LeBron yeah. and Kevin Love, they were like, how many times could they say, like, you have to tip their your, your cap? You know, like they just kept going back to that line over and over. <laughs> yeah, it's like this, margin for error. This team is ridiculous. What are we supposed to do, you know? Yeah, and it's I, the one thing I would add to this is it may be, it may play differently in the stadium, and I would totally understand if people are watching these games on TV and saying Cleveland is totally screwed and the fact that they're within four points is completely misleading and I don't care about this series. I think that's a, that's a fair reaction. That's a it's just reaction. Has been... These games have been fun, Andrew. That, like you said, okay. you weren't the only one cheering. I mean, you might be the only person cheering on Press Row because you should not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was an entertaining. It was an emotional night. A very man. entertaining basketball game. And game one was entertaining too. And there were stretches of game two that I thought were, were good. I mean, it wasn't the best game, but it was a fine game in terms of entertainment value. I just am not here at all for the like, oh, they ruin basketball. I don't know how that's the takeaway. Even if it's a sweep, the way they're doing it, the kind of performances they're pulling from LeBron, I think Kevin Love has stepped up to the plate here too this series, more so than I expected. He's been really good. That's what I'm yeah. saying. And so like the stars are shining here. Um, and how many threes do you want Steph to hit? I mean, he hit nine in game two. Like, How many is going to be entertaining? 15? Like, come on, let's not uh, – Let's not go overboard in, in terms of what we're asking from these guys. The individual performances from the stars across the board in this finals will make it memorable, even if it ends on Friday. Yeah, uh, I agree with that to some degree. I, I also think that the the individual performances from the Cavs will not matter like 36 hours after the finals ends and we'll just look back at this and be like wow that was a blowout of a series and what a waste of a finals but in the moment it's been fun which I feel like is a win for for basketball fans let's move to Durant though um, because 
I think uh, another reason I was desperately rooting for the Cavs in Game 3 is because you were talking a lot of trash as KD was going off in that game. Mm. And nothing in the world, I didn't say a word, because number one, I didn't want to jinx the possibility of a Cavs win. And number two, nothing in the world would have made me happier than KD having the game of his life in a crushing Warriors loss. It would have been really, really perfect for my purposes, such a, such and we were so close. You're such a pure we were really, hater. really close. Oh, that's and that's why it's so ludicrous that you were trying to tell me like a week or two ago how you actually care about Kevin more than anyone else in the world, more than I do. <laughs> You're openly over here dedicating your entire life to hating on this poor man. What more well, does no, he have this to do? Per- this particular era is exceptionally corny, but. I'm going to cede the floor to you, and you can talk about how wonderful that game was. Because it was amazing. It was like, that's the Kevin Durant that everyone should be worshiping. It's just a shame, in my eyes, that he only has to play that way once every six months to win a title. Yeah, I I think you've framed it incorrectly yet again, but we've been over that. Look, we had an emailer call you a hedgehog for kind of constantly changing your opinions. I'd like to call you a groundhog when it comes to the text message game, because when things go against you like they did so fervently <laughs> in game three you don't just Groundhog. you don't sit there quietly andrew you see your shadow and you run back into the hole and it's another you know six weeks of uh, of winter i mean you just disappear off the face of the planet i mean kevin hit like six or seven shots in a row i don't i don't hear a single word from you steph suffering through like the worst shooting night of his career in terms of playoffs from a field goal percentage and a three-point percentage standpoint you don't have a single word. I'm really impressed, actually, that you didn't try to give Steph credit for Kevin's night, and you went with Rodney Hood instead. Uh, but <laughs> I do think Kevin deserves a ton of credit. They He was the reason why they survived that opening blow from Cleveland. Cleveland came out really strong. I mean, they were hitting shots 100%. right off the bat. And we have seen Golden State in previous years just kind of punt it, right? I mean, they're in a position where if they had punted game three, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. We wouldn't be sitting here saying – you know, like, oh, are the Warriors, like, really in deep trouble? We would have been saying, okay, it's probably going to be five, right? Um, yeah. And so he gets credit for that, you know, carrying the offense there. And then I think the thing that stood out to me more than anything was his decision-making on the playmaking. He was in the zone as a passer, and he rarely is because he's an okay or a passable passer. He's not an elite passer. He doesn't have that vision, that sense of timing and space you know, he, his passes get deflected a lot. He throws it into traffic a lot. He's a beat late and he'll get turnovers. But he was just locked in uh, in terms of where Cleveland's defense was. And granted, it's easier to be locked in against Cleveland's defense than it is against Houston's defense just because of the quality of the right. player and how much they you know time they play together and so forth. But he was making some excellent reads you know, for wide open dunks, for open shots. Uh, and that kind of kept things going uh, for Golden State you know, throughout the game. And it really just set the table for himself. I thought in game two, he set the table perfectly for Steph to just deliver all those knockouts. And then he basically did the same thing in game three, except he delivered the knockouts. Yeah, I mean, allow me to de- to defend my text message habits uh, for a second. Number one, I really didn't want to jinx anything. And number two... I didn't want to ruin that night of Durant by having the exact same argument that we've been having for nine months. And so we don't even have to do it here either. I well, just. Because there's, there's I, no I, argument left. It's fine. But 
<laughs> no, no. What no. I did appreciate Look, though, after the game, he was he was amazing. Let, let's be very clear on that. That is the version of KD that is just impossible to argue with, and it was very cool to see him kind of bring that game to the table on Wednesday night. Um, I mean, he just. Like you said, he's he's like a problem with no good answer, and uh, it was it was awesome. I think that, like if you want to be cynical about it, I, you could say the Cavs were trapping Curry and being more aggressive with him, and that's one of the reasons KD was seeing single coverage the entire night. And I think you never give Curry enough credit for for drawing like defenders. I, I and, definitely and do. Like, I easier. just don't give him all the credit, which is what you okay. and a sizable percentage of his fans like to do. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but what I'd say about Durant, the other thing, you know, in terms of your text message habits, I love after the two-hour silence, your first text message back is, hey, did Rodney Hood get the podium? And then your next text message is, <laughs> can we, can, it's like 1 a.m., can we do a podcast immediately? And I knew you did not want a podcast about KD. I knew you wanted to podcast about Hood. You're hilarious. But uh, on KD's daggers, I just wanted to point one thing out. and I, This is my take. Tell me if you agree. Okay. Last year, game three, KD pulls up and hits that three-pointer over to LeBron. To me, it was a stunning moment. Like him deciding, I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to take this team over, essentially, in that moment. Him doing it against LeBron, who he'd been chasing for 10 years. Uh, him being able to hit the shot when he'd had some, you know, postseason up and downs, you know, in Oklahoma City and at other points of his careers. That shot, it kind of gave him validation but it was truly mm-hmm. surprising in that moment. I think that was the biggest difference between his 2017 shot and his shot last night. When he hit that three-pointer, uh, you know, kind of ducking behind that Andre Iguodala screen and pulling up from well behind the three-point line, Andrew, I wasn't surprised in the slightest. Like, it seemed like he basically he's verified. Like, he, he, what he's done here over the last year in terms of settling in for Golden State, uh, you know, finding his spots – you know, knowing that he'd been able to hit it uh, before, I was sort of had the same reaction that he did. I wasn't like stone faced and like you know trying to mean mug like the the 100 level of the Quicken Loans Arena or try to like mean mug you uh, in the media section. But that was the biggest difference between those shots. It's not a surprise when KD hits a finals altering shot anymore. We couldn't have said that this time last year. I, I hear that. I would also add that it wasn't a surprise in Game 3 because KD had been unconscious for like 45 minutes before that, and he was clearly just playing like the best basketball of his life. So as soon as he pulled up, I was like, well, that's going to fall because he's just hitting everything in that yep. game. And w- Come on, you're, another you're back thing, in on KD, man. Come on. All jokes aside, I, I've been teasing you, and you know I'm going to welcome you back into the fall, okay? This is, this is, yeah. a, this is a great club. You know, we, we I'll be on the yacht with you and Rich climbing this summer. Absolutely. Yeah, w- uh, Wanda too, you know. I mean, this is <laughs> it's it's a small group we've got left here defending Kevin Durant, but membership is open. Don't you want to get back in after a game like that? You know, another thing I loved from last night is everyone was saying the entire post game that KD took the exact same shot and like every player and coach was being asked about what like what it was like to watch him take the the, the exact same Deja shot the exact dagger, same spot yeah. <laughs> right well and then lebron at the very end of the night goes up and corrects someone at the press conference and says actually it was about three feet deeper than the shot he took last year and i went back and watched the replays and it absolutely was so 
There goes basketball Rain Man again. Added to the list of things LeBron is weirdly dead on about. Um, no, and I, I was entertained by that. That was LeBron going down in his pure form. He's like, if I have to lose, I at least am going to point out that the Kevin's shot location was five feet behind the previous one. And the, ti- <laughs> yeah. the time score situation was different because Golden State was leading uh, on, you know, game three this year, and they were they're trailing, you know, game three last year. I mean, yeah, very subtle differences, but nothing gets by, <laughs> you know, uh, Raid Man LeBron. I, I liked it, but everyone had that feeling in the building of, like, here goes KD again. I mean, Kevin Love called it deja vu. Uh, you know, Ty Lue was like, we just didn't really have an answer for him. And uh, I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, now that the dust has settled here over the last 24 hours is, what is this? What is this shot and this performance? Like you called it, the game of his life. What does it mean for Katie's future? Like, does he finally get some of the love, the adulation uh, that maybe he had been seeking? Does he find Golden State is more of a home than maybe it looked like a couple weeks ago when everybody was kind of pointing yeah. fingers and yelling at each other? If he wins Finals MVP again, I mean, what does that mean for his legacy? Like, walk me through your thought process on some of these uh, these implications. Well, that's certainly one element that I, I noticed right away is like maybe five days ago you could – and we got to talk about the KD free agency stuff because I was ensnared in a little bit of a media bubble this week. Uh, but you could maybe talk yourself into him leaving this summer. Like there was a maybe 5% chance, 10% chance, and there were reasons it made sense. And after that performance in Game 3, it's now like, okay, he's staying. Like w- Winning heals everything, and dominating that way heals everything. And uh, and I think if you're the Warriors, that's kind of the ideal scenario. It's like if they were, were going to pick a way to win, they would love to have Steph go off in Game 2, and maybe Curry could still steal Finals MVP, which apparently he cares about. But you, if you're Golden State, you want Durant to have a moment like he had in Game 3. And so I think that's big for them and maintaining this dynasty. As far as the signature moment, career-altering moment, like, this is... We went through this last year when he hit his other shot in Game 3. Like, you want it to be more than it really is for him. And I, and I just think that the context here is is going to kind of complicate the way we we view this stuff and it's not completely fair but i think some of it is is just natural and uh like a a game like that from durant should have been more thrilling than it really was because the way it played out in real time it was like yeah of course the warriors are going to ultimately win here they just have way too many advantages all over the floor and so it, it just wasn't as like had he done that in Oklahoma City to beat the Warriors in Game 7, that would have changed his entire career. And I think instead, this is kind of more of the same from him. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the, the classic situation where this is says more about you than it says about him. What more could he have done? I mean, he's playing the, the best <laughs> basketball of his life. Uh, if he does win finals MVP back-to-back, he'll join LeBron, Kobe, and Shaq as the only guys to do that in the post-Jordan era. I mean, I think that puts him on a plane where even a guy like Tim Duncan hasn't been. Um, that doesn't mean he's going to be better than Tim Duncan on the all-time you know players list yet, but uh, right. that is rare company, I guess is my point. And it's not necessarily what we might have expected two years ago when he joined. I mean, there was no guarantee it was going to play out that way. Late in the fourth quarter, he was screaming, demanding the ball, clapping his hands, basically taking it away from Steph Curry. 
so that he could have the possessions. He did it again with Clay Thompson, you know, down the stretch. I mean, he wanted to take every big shot. I think he almost airballed one, and he came right back and took the next one. Uh, it wasn't how I foresaw this finals going, you know, especially after the Western Conference Finals where it had been more about the balance. Uh, his takeover, you know, exceeded sort of, you know, what I thought. And I think from Golden State's standpoint, they have to like this formula because we've talked for years, okay, how how the kind of problems that LeBron causes for the opponents, right? Like, how do you even guard him? You know, how many guys do you have to have out there, you know, kind of focused on defending him? And I think what we're seeing is those kinds of questions are now be, being really asked over and over again and in public, by KD's opponents like Kevin Love's like what are we supposed to do he's pulling up from 30 feet off a of hezzy and you know draining it and he's seven foot tall like how are you supposed to guard that you know what are you supposed to do and this is a guy who's having a great finals uh you know uh performance uh I don't know I mean I think that he's he's playing you. at such a high level that uh we need to be thinking about the implications for like LeBron's future like if you're LeBron do you finally come to the conclusion that you need more help to stop a guy like Kevin Durant? And this is a guy you owned for the first 10 years of his life. Uh, does this chase you to a super team like a Houston? Or does it chase you to a San Antonio, someplace that's like really ready to, you know, and with the personnel to try to combat Kevin Durant because he's on that level right now? Yeah, well, I we we both are pretty entrenched. I, to me, it just seems like, like would you acknowledge that Duncan – and, and winning some of the titles that he did was asked to do more. And the same with LeBron the last four or five years. I think... Yeah, but that doesn't matter, Andrew. That's old thinking. I mean, Golden State's shown us a new, better way. And, like, even the beautiful game Spurs have shown us a new, better way to play basketball. Or even the Heat, okay. uh, when they're, you know, getting the most out of three all-star level players, the hero ball stuff is dead. It's been dead. <laughs> you know, that's, that's for Harry Potter fans who want to have heroes, okay? We're playing basketball just, here. We're seeing what? it at the highest level. And he's doing it in a team context, and Golden State is pulling it out of him. I mean, the pieces around him are helping him thrive. And if you want to beat him, I mean, if you want to be in the finals taking Kevin Durant and the Warriors down next year, if you're LeBron James, you're not going to be able to do it hero ball style. It's not going to work. You have to have quality teammates who play together, who play offense and defense. And we heard LeBron wax about the but Spurs. You're making this you're making this about aesthetics and, and style of play. I think there's also just a basic reality that there is so much talent on the floor that any defense without like three or four all-world wings is going to be so incredibly stressed out that at some point there's, there, there's just a breaking point. And, and in game two, it was Steph. In Game Three, it was Durant, and I I think if it's telling that Dur when Durant goes off, it saves their ass in close games, and when Steph goes off, they win by twenty. I think it, Steph is the ceiling, and and Durant is the floor, which I think Matt Moore came up with a couple months ago. I think that's a pretty accurate way to look at it. Durant is kind of the insurance policy, and he was again in Game Three. So that, I, like that is such a tired story. This guy's not the insurance policy. This guy's the house, Andrew. He did everything okay. in Game 3. Come on. I I completely disagree with your read on all of this, but I'm also riding a high from the Rodney Hood performance and don't want to drag us into the mud with another 45-minute argument. I want to read you one email that I thought was pretty interesting from Matt, who said, Watching this Warriors team essentially end the NBA season by winning three games or by winning game three on the road, despite three of their four all-stars not scoring over 11 points. 
I'm left with mixed feelings. On the one hand, it's very cool to see all this talent on one team. On the other, I can't help but feel like we're getting cheated out of truly seeing what any of these guys are individually capable of in their primes because they don't have to do it every night. They can just rely on whichever star happens to be hot. Wednesday night it was clearly Durant, so Clay went the entire game without dribbling, Draymond never took a shot unless it was a wide open dunk, and Steph just sort of screwed around all game. I'm not advocating for martyr ball or anything, but that's not how it's supposed to work. If a player of Steph Curry's caliber has that bad of a game past the first round of the playoffs, that team is supposed to lose, full stop. Instead, no, it's were, just a funny little sideshow. But, you know, we have a different game. The game has evolved, Andrew. I mean, we, we just said this. <laughs> it's not about this hero ball. It's not about this, oh, you only have one good player on your team, and if he doesn't play well, your team falls apart. Uh, I, I just disagree with this entire premise. We've seen top-down, talented teams get the best out of each other, you know, players complementing each other for more than a decade in the NBA at this point. And it's evolved to the the point where, you know, we've got four guys doing that in Golden State, and we really haven't seen it before. Now, is that a fluke because of the salary cap and all that? And that's why they were able to get Durant? You know, sure. But if you want to compete with them, you have to be able to do the same thing. You have to fight fire with fire. You can't just whine about it. You know, this to me, this entire line of thinking is just whining. Yeah. I mean, I, but I think there's valid frustration when you see a team that in any other context would lose except they just so happen to have a second MVP and first ballot Hall of Famer who they acquired during a summer in which there was a an unprecedented cap spike like I okay. the whole thing is, how, is how just many legitimately frustrating how many titles are they going to have to win before you stop griping about it, before you just accept it, three, four, I, or, or, or they're all tainted. The original sin of getting Kevin Durant taints their entire accomplishments. Can I ask you something? Do you think any of these Warriors titles are as cool as the Cavs title from two years ago? As memorable and as just generally like historically uh, remarkable as what happened in Cleveland in 2016? Uh, well, on my personal scale, uh, my favorite championship I've ever seen uh, was the 2014 Spurs because I don't just look at the final series. I look at the entire run. To me, the 2014 yeah. Spurs were just lightning in a bottle, great storyline, incredible you know team coming together, all the right principles. I think I would have the 2016 Cavs as number two on my list in terms of ones that you know I've covered here in the last 10 years, and it's pretty close. I mean, that, that series had it all. Uh, it was back and forth. There was all sorts of weirdness and, and drama off the court, Draymond suspension and all of that. So absolutely, I would put the 2016 one over any of Golden State's individual titles. But I guess my point is to focus on only one title or only one series – or only one star within a context uh, of a game is missing sort of a bigger picture that Golden State is building here, right? They're trying to put together mm -hmm. a dynasty. What am I going to remember more in 20 years if Golden State wins four out of five titles, becoming the first team to do that since the 60s Celtics? Uh, you know, if, if they win this year's title and next year's as well, am I going to remember that? Or am I going to remember the one kind of uh, time they took their eye off the ball, you know, in game five, six, and seven of 2016. I think the greater lasting staying power in terms of telling the league story and telling basketball's evolution as a sport will be the Warriors. Okay, well, and I'm trying to be very respectful here and not call you a total dipshit uh, who is completely out of touch. And so 
I, which I guess is not, I just ended my respectful tact. Uh, but I think what I would counter with is to say that the opportunity cost with these few years it is higher than you're acknowledging. Because I think if you don't have Durant on the Warriors, we're, we're watching LeBron in full-on Jordan mode. Like, I've never seen someone with this level of mastery. I mean, some of the some of the touch passes he was making last night to, to sort of carry that offense. Like, LeBron, it was kind of a C-plus game from him. Yeah, he was the second-best player scorer. on the court. You know, if you gave he, KD his he, real credit, you would just say you know, Kevin outplayed him. I mean, you could say that. He did. No, there's no question Durant outplayed him. I'm just saying that, that LeBron through these past two years has hit a level that ha- has just been out of control. And and I think that he, watching him and Kyrie battle this Warriors team, it would have been like the Lakers and the Celtics 30 years later. And, uh, and I think one of the reasons Kyrie left probably is because of how far away they were from really competing with Golden State. And, uh, and I just think that that's an element where like even this series if you take Durant off the floor and it's and it's LeBron versus Steph and those guys you know the Warriors probably still win but it's a really entertaining 5 6 7 game battle and uh and Durant is kind of just the straw that breaks the camel's back on uh, in that department and he just is too much to deal with and makes that team too impossible to to the point where there's never really that much of a threat. I mean, we saw Houston push them, but I was never convinced that the, the Warriors were going to lose that series. And uh, and I think that is it's it's not like a deal breaker for the health of the NBA, but I understand people who look at this and and conclude that it's all kind of empty and a little bit frustrating. Cool, sounds great. <laughs> I don't have to tell you, but these guys. I mean, you were saying, oh, Kyrie, if they had Kyrie. Well, guess what? Part of building a dynasty is ego management. You know, what has Golden State been able to do? Kevin, Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Those guys are really, really talented players. They have their own individual preferences. To put them together into a single team that can win consistently year in and year out is more difficult than you think. We've seen teams shatter you know similarly not maybe similarly talented but we've seen very talented teams shatter before they should time and again throughout nba history these guys haven't and they deserve credit for that and like i said if they're yeah, if they're going they to do. be right there with the 60s celtics in terms of titles in the in the shortest number of years at this point next year i would really hope you finally get over it you know and <laughs> finally get <laughs> let this 2016 <laughs> stuff go you can call me any cuss word you want to call me that's fine have a reckoning with yourself. And I told people, you know, have a mental uh, palate cleanse, right? That's what I said before uh-huh. before the finals. Anyone who did that would have watched game three and been blown away by what Kevin did on the court. And to me, you didn't do it, and that's why you're still nitpicking. <laughs> I was blown away. I loved watching Durant go off. And look, he deserves credit, and Curry deserves credit for making this work because both of them have sacrificed and both of them – have had their eyes on the bigger picture. So there's no debate there. And as for everything else, the one thing we know for sure is that we will be working through it together, for better or worse, over the next year or two. Who knows where this is going? But let's move on here. Um, 
We got a question from Will. You sounded, who said, you sounded a little nervous. I might just leave there. It's okay, Andrew. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. You don't have to guilt. I've thought me. about it too. You know. <laughs> um, look, we've got a question from Will who says, "Are y'all planning on taking over First Take? The last place I ever expect to hear Mr. Sharp is on ESPN with Stephen A. Smith. But hey, is this how popular you guys are now?" Uh, Okay, so I have a quick story here. Ben, I told you I was concerned uh, about a clip of me talking about Kevin Durant that was floating around the internet earlier this week. And I, when I first explained the situation to you, you were like, I listened to the segment and you didn't say anything that bad. Do you remember this at Game 3 Wednesday night? Of course I remember it. I, I mean, you were doing your same line of argumentation. And I, this is a safe space, so I'm trying to help you walk through these Kevin Durant <laughs> takes to get you to a smarter place. But you decided to go off by yourself and, and go big time on this ESPN platform. It was dangerous. And what happened? <laughs> okay, so I'll start at the beginning here. I went on a radio show, The Will Cain Show, because the producer of that show, Steve Cerruti, is someone I've known for a while. He used to do the Rosillo Show and SVP and Rosillo. So he hit me up and was like, we'd love to talk to you about your KD and Steve Kerr thoughts, uh, because there was a, a transcript from a podcast a few weeks ago that they saw, which, I don't know, how do you feel about podcast transcripts in general? Andrew, I think you just need to tell your story, okay? Okay. Pod, podcast transcripts, I think it kind of breaks the mood of the medium because, like, for example, on last week's episode, I was talking about Boston trading Kyrie for LeBron, right? I mean, that's something that right. you can very easily take out of context and make <laughs> into a giant headline if you wanted to. But I also— That's that's sort of what I mean is, is I think of this as a safe space where you and I are screwing around, and sometimes when you remove the context from it, it, it looks more official than it well, really should. here's my take. The entire world should be a safe space for takes, okay? Let's just—everybody just <laughs> chill out. We don't need to have outrage. I mean, if someone says something stupid, yeah, you, you hold them to account. That's what I try to do here twice a week, every week. Um, but otherwise, we don't. you don't need to be like, oh, this, you know— the the drawing and quartering of uh, of take artists is unnecessary is my point yes i completely agree um but so anyways what happened is i went on this radio show and i tried to make it very clear that i was not reporting anything absolutely no reporting and when they asked me about kd i said look i have no idea what he'll do but there has been weird chemistry at various points this year that's true and if that's if i were advising him i would say he should look around this summer and see what's out there that's not strictly my opinion that's not hot at all andrew i don't right so what was the problem so what happened from there is the host that says well what team would you suggest and i say the lakers would be a perfect fit he'd be worshipped instantly and a bunch of a bunch of mainstream fans would really embrace the move, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, exactly what you and I had talked about a couple weeks ago. And if I was guilty of anything, it was treating the whole thing like a podcast. I should have probably been a little bit more careful. So fast forward to the next morning, and that clip is on like five different ESPN shows throughout the day, framing it as, report says KD might leave the Warriors this summer and, and is interested in the Lakers. And then I like Jalen Rose is accusing me of stealing his take, which is kind of hilarious. I'm like, I've been pushing KD free agency every two weeks on this pod. And then uh, today, and this is why I came up to you concerned at the game, like on Wednesday night, 
apparently I was featured on First Take and the YouTube video that I saw is titled ESPN First Take Report Suggests Kevin Durant May Leave the Warriors for the Lakers, which is just like, I don't know. I Somehow I turned into Chris Broussard overnight, completely unintentionally. Well, um, I mean, I think you have to charge to the game, first of all. like, I, I, Honestly, I think you could have seen this one coming. Um, I know. It was sort of like my experience at the uh, the rental car agency in the Cleveland's airport. I knew 12 hours before I even landed in Cleveland that I was going to have drama because, you know, previously Hertz had not had enough vehicles for me. And <laughs> lo and behold, I got a 30-person minivan that I've been driving around for the last four days. Like, I was walking right into the nightmare. I think yeah. when you're out there dishing some outside-the-box takes – uh, you're going to get some blowback. Andrew, stand strong. You, you know what you're about. <laughs> you're about pure KD hatred and ripping apart the Warriors. That's, There's no hatred. That's what There's you're no about. Hatred. So own it. You should be glad. ESPN's helping spread your quote-unquote gospel to the masses. Shouldn't this be your oh victory lap? Oh, my God. Lap? Look, I just for anyone out there, let me make it very clear. I'm not reporting anything. All I was saying, all I was ever saying is that KD's career immediately becomes twice as interesting if and when he leaves i think at some point in the next few years he'll decide to make a move and uh and america will love him for it and the nba will be more fun as a result well, but i was hearing after game three it's not happening this summer well i was hearing chatter actually in the bay area during the finals uh because remember you had a, a hot take that kerr was going to leave this summer too like you just kind of threw that yeah. out there i were you reporting that one too andrew <laughs> stop <laughs> because I, I was like people were coming up to me and they were like so i you know because somebody had transcribed what you had said and put it on the internet and they were coming up to me and like, wow, yeah, so what do you think about that Kerr story you guys are reporting? And I was like, what Kerr story? And then <laughs> it turned out it was our podcast. So fantastic. So I guess the point is here, Andrew, you're making waves. You're getting famous enough that you need to really put some thought into what you're saying, okay? <laughs> I am putting thought into what I'm saying. I'm just not presenting it. None of this is intended to be reporting. It's just you know, spitballing ideas, see where things are going. But um, anyway, well, let's get you into uh, some more trouble. How do you feel about Ohio as a state? I mean, if you, we've, we've already determined Minnesota is the best state out there, but you know, let's have a parting shot to our generous host here in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your best and worst Ohio experiences. I really like Ohio. Okay. I think you have more complicated feelings because of your Michigan ties, but Ohio to me at least Cleveland. I haven't really experienced any other parts of Ohio, but I, I really enjoy Cleveland. The one thing I will say is like when I first visited here four or five years ago, I was coming in with very low expectations. So Cleveland like exceeded them with flying colors. H however, now after visiting here year after year for Cavs stuff, um, it's kind of leveled off a little bit. Like Cleveland is great, but it's also hard to like a lot of times I'm looking for like late night food and everything closes earlier around here than it does in some place like Boston or San Francisco and uh but I don't know I'm not going to complain too much I like it and you're you have a whole lot of issues to work through with the the state of Ohio and and Cleveland the the, the surrounding areas here 
Yeah, a lot of painful memories uh, from November <laughs> from November's past in mean, Michigan football and so forth. We don't need to to delve too like deeply. Like fifteen into that. straight losses. Yeah, hey, lay off. All right, that <laughs> we just said painful. Please don't don't rub my face in it. Um, all right, that was a good dodge, though. I mean, I appreciate it. You've learned your lesson. You've been scarred by this ESPN experience. <laughs> I'm just happy to to be on the you know the same team as uh, such a gigantic rising star. This is great, and I, I look forward to where you take us next with your reports. Oh my god! Actually, Andrew. <laughs> Sharp reports would be a pretty good segment if you just came on <laughs> and delivered like a sarcastic like hot take as if it was like generally serious like uh, where, where could we go with this like it's quite an adventure Andrew, through the content machine it's been a good week have you heard that none of the top seven potential draft picks want to go play for the phoenix suns like you could get yourself in some, <laughs> some real trouble if you did if you took this seriously and, and tried to put it out there uh, well, listen, let's keep it moving, and we have another couple of questions about the media, uh, but before we move on, today's show is brought to you by OneBlade. So, Ben, tell me about OneBlade. If you've ever had a professional shave from the barbershop, you know how it can change not only how you look, but also how you feel, the baby smooth skin, the confidence you feel knowing that you look great. Now you can get that same barbershop feeling at home with the one blade razor yes you can one blade will give you the best shave of your life with no razor burn or ingrown hairs it's been obsessively engineered to be the optimal tool for performance shaving from the perfect pivot and weight to the finest materials such as ultra high grade german stainless steel I've tried it, Ben. It is a great shave, uh, very smooth, you know, and I actually have pretty sensitive skin, so I appreciate, like, the premium razors. Uh, it makes it makes a big difference for me. And this is a premium razor. This is an heirloom quality razor you can pass down for generations. Each one is hand-assembled and serial-numbered, and every one blade is backed by a full 60-day money-back guarantee and a lifetime warranty. Andrew, this isn't just a razor. This is an object of affection that you will hand down through the generations. I've got one waiting for me. I haven't used it yet, but I can't wait to use it. Uh, so if you, if your family has been asking what you want for Father's Day, or even if you're not a father, but you know, you're just trying to get it on the Father's Day action, tell them to go to this website, onebladeshave.com slash floor. That's onebladeshave.com dot com slash floor for father's day they have a promotion you will receive a free yeti rambler with all razor purchases one blade shave dot com slash floor and you go get that heirloom quality razor that you deserve no kidding it's a great way to support the podcast if you're getting a father's day gift and you and you really don't care what you get you might as well just buy a really nice razor and support Open Floor in the process. Yeah, no I think doubt. that's a solid idea. There's nothing worse than saying, oh, I'm the guy who has everything. I don't need anything. Guess what? You need a one-shave blade razor, so go get one. <laughs> don't be such a jerk to your family members. All right. Well, one more question on NBA media. Chahaya from Indonesia asks, why does NBA media regularly say LeBron is the best player on the planet? LeBron is very good, but if I've thought about it, and if I had one player to build my team around, I would choose Kevin Durant. Of course, I'm also including quirky intangibles, like actually trying during the regular season, 
not calling out teammates on social media and trying a different defensive approach than holding out arms and staring at teammates and refs. Um, do you have a reaction? I feel like this conversation has been put on hold this year in part as a testament to how unbelievable LeBron has been. But I don't know. The, the gap, it, it's complete recency bias because if, had you asked me after game two, I would have been like, the gap is wider than ever this year. But Durant was just that good in game three that I, I, I too am doing a double take. My first reaction is, you know, how convincing was my burner account? Shahaya from Indonesia. <laughs> that's a pretty really good. Solid. That's a pretty good name I came up with, right? Uh, no, this is going too far. I, I would still take LeBron, um, but you know, I, to me, Durant's been second for a long time, and he's right there in that same spot. I do think if he was under this, you know, crazy framework which you're, which you're demanding, which is he's the number one guy and he has to carry the whole load his team would be very, very good. And I think it would be pretty easy to build an excellent team around him with replacement parts at this stage of his career. He's just that reliable of a scorer night in, night out. That's what Steve Kerr harps on when he talks about Durant more than any of Durant's other qualities. It's his consistency of offensive excellence. And I yeah. think that that would carry, you know, a Durant version of the Lakers, like you just mentioned. Like if he was the only guy to go there, uh, we would see a big uptick in wins for the Lakers simply by his presence. Um, I also think Shahaya might be giving KD a little bit too much credit for his night-to-night defensive effort during the regular season. I think when KD really, say. when he wants to lock in defensively, he can be exceptional. Uh, that's not the standard every night. Uh, it's just not. Well, and I don't totally blame him for that. I think there are some Golden State fans who have kind of grumbled about his effort on that end. But the story with him throughout his career has never been one of like two-way dominance. Uh, he's never been like a Kawhi Leonard guy. And like the first time we really saw him apply himself on defense was against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals a few years ago, where we finally saw what he could be on that end. But I also think that that took something away from his game on offense. And uh, if if you have to choose between the two, I think KD on offense is more valuable than KD on defense. And so I am totally fine with him coasting for stretches. Um, the only thing I, the, the reason I included this question is because I do think that there's an absence of skepticism with LeBron at this point. And I, like it, it's a thought that has occurred to me throughout this run for Cleveland. Like he's not that far off from what Russell Westbrook was doing in OKC this year, except that he's like 30% better at everything than Westbrook is. But stylistically, they've been pretty similar, and LeBron also ran off his best teammate. And I'm personally pro-LeBron, but I will listen to anyone who wants to get more critical because I think there's room for another version of the story. Report, LeBron ran off Kyrie. (laughs) Stop. I will legitimately quit the podcast, but uh, yes, report. This is a good sharp for you. threats to quit podcast. Dude, you're having a real run of these today. I love it. Oh my uh, god, no, it's a lot funnier to to think of all your takes in the form of uh, of blog posts. <laughs> but uh, back to what uh, this kind of topic at hand. I think Katie, in terms of you know how you rank guys. I think one of the most interesting comparisons at this point is like, okay, let's say you're trying to max out a team's success during the regular season, like KD versus Harden. I think right now, based on the fact that 
know, Harden is, you know, set to win the MVP. We just saw him do it night in and night out for Houston. He had that huge load, which, you know, people are accustomed to sort of valuing from people. Like if you had KD, Harden, and Russ all, each in a vacuum as the head of their own teams, do you think KD's team would win more for sure than Harden's team and Westbrook's team? Because I do. I would put it KD, then Harden, then Russ. How would you put it? Um... I don't know. I, like if you put KD in Houston and surrounded him with with the pieces that Harden has, I think his ceiling would be just as high as the Rockets has been over the last couple of years. I think you could put put Durant on this Cavs team, for instance, and like the, the island of misfit toys that LeBron has been dealing with for the past year, and I don't see him being quite as successful. The ceiling is lower. Um, so. I, I think it's it's a context thing with with Durant and and Harden and those guys, which is kind of a cop out. But like both, both his his ceiling is as high as Harden's on on the right team. Yeah, one thing that I've thought about is I we've always mentioned how the West is so much more loaded with superstar talent than the East is, and the East always has these teams that are just going nowhere. They're just soft wins every single year. Orlando, Brooklyn, New York, right down the list, right. We haven't right. seen a lot of these A-list guys go from west to east. And, you know, I've joked in the past about the Paul Millsap effect where you go from being sort of a, a middle-of-the-road power forward in the west to being like a three-time all-star, four-time all-star in Atlanta just by changing <laughs> totally. conference. So I wonder if there would be a similar warping effect. Like if KD did, maybe not Cleveland, but like if he went to Orlando or if he went to one of these other teams where – you're expecting that it would be hard for him to carry this, uh, you know, weak cast of characters if he was able to sort of inflate his win total and his stats by playing against weaker competition every single night uh, by virtue of being in the Eastern Conference, if we wouldn't view him differently. And not even just KD, but, you know, same thing for Steph or for Harden or like the, the most obvious example, Anthony Davis, you know, if, if he went to Boston or somewhere else, I mean, it would show, I think, you know, pretty quickly in his team's winning and his, in his own individual stats, uh, I guess now I'm sort of hoping that somebody eventually does this so we can kind of test the theory, you know? Exactly. Finally, welcome to the right side of history. No. We should be rooting for Durant to have his own team. Send him the, to the Charlotte Hornets and let's see what happens. Let's see if he can win 55 games with now, Jeremy Lamb and look, Kemba Walker. It's a lot funnier when I do a report for what you say, not when you do it for what I say. <laughs> now, now I'm getting bitter and, and defensive because I did not say Kevin Durant should leave. Okay. Um, yes. No one. No one needs KD in Charlotte. Uh, we're all good. But one more LeBron question here. Tim says, obviously, the best thing for LeBron's legacy would be to win more championships. But if he can't do that, wouldn't it be best for him if Golden State stays together and wins a bunch more titles in a row? Looking back in twenty years, what we'll say is the Warriors were the best team ever, winning six out of seven years. And the only one who could interrupt their championship streak was LeBron James. I completely agree with this. What do you think? Well, can I flip a question back to you? So I remember in one of our Durant debates, you sort of mentioned how he was trying to do what LeBron did, but it sort of backfired. Like he was trying to take the LeBron approach of like crafting a narrative and finding a, a fit for him in free agency. And he mm -hmm. just wasn't able to play it right. What I'm wondering though, is if Golden State does run off a dynasty maybe it's not six and seven I think that's a little bit ambitious from Tim but let's say four and five does LeBron wind up being sort of stained with this idea that he invented the sort of or he at least popularized the team up 
uh, you know, superstar like free agency come together approach, and he just got beat by somebody who was better at that same game. Like he invented the game, and then Golden State perfected it, and he couldn't respond. And so I guess what I'm saying is, I think the best way for LeBron's legacy is he now has to ramp up and join the arms race in a way, <laughs> in an even bigger manner. Because otherwise, so I basically, think- you're lobbying for like three amazing teams that are also able to circumvent the salary cap and then like 27 other teams are just totally screwed well i i can get behind that actually well here's the thing if i was lebron and i cared about championships and and that was my number one goal uh i would seriously consider doing something insane like taking a minimum salary you know i mean Mm -hmm. it would be weird to say and it would be you know against a lot of the principles that he's, you know, said he stands for in terms of, you know, his own personal self-worth and all the things like that. But if we're discussing this purely from a LeBron legacy standpoint, like having a crazy sacrifice that allows him to play for a team that's just completely unfair and that can actually like keep up and maybe even dominate Golden State, that's the way for him to get his legacy maximized. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think that the more Golden no, State it, wins, look, the less it becomes a LeBron-centric conversation. That's my point. Yes, it's a very good question to ask, and I think you're hitting on one of the most interesting aspects of it, the salary part of it. I will say, what you're describing, like KD beating LeBron at his own game, is is sort of how I read last year's finals, and particularly the, the shot in Game 3 that you fawned over for like 72 hours like, that's how I read it. I was like, look, LeBron created this game of superstar chess, and KD went out and, and beat him. And uh, and it was interesting. And I think over the last 12 months, my feelings have changed a little bit, in part because I look at Durant, and he's still pretty restless and doesn't seem to have found the validation he was seeking. And I also think that, like... Uh, like he's not imagining things like people don't people are looking at him and saying your ring doesn't count as much and doesn't matter as much and that and they put an asterisk next to the success in golden state and still look at this as lebron's league which i think is not how it happened for lebron when he won his first title um and to your second point though lebron has made it a point of pride to get the max wherever he goes and sort of set that standard for his peers. And I don't know, because I, I think a huge part of his legacy is going to be on the business side and everything he did to empower players. And I I don't think it, it probably doesn't really change anything if he starts taking less money, but it's certainly something that he's made a priority over the past few years. And so him going and taking the mid-level to like tag along with the Rockets doesn't seem like a plausible scenario to me. It would be out of character for him, but what I'm sort of suggesting is like, if it's about chasing Jordan, if that's really what's driving him, that's his best yeah. path to do it. That's all. That's really my only point. And if he doesn't do it, I won't fault him for it. I won't think less of him. I certainly wouldn't say, oh, he's not a real competitor. He's not willing to, you know, to sacrifice financially in his own pocketbook. I'm not going to call him greedy or any of that stuff. But I'm just saying if he wants to maximize his legacy, so it's not the situation where it was like, oh, you know, LeBron had a very long run over the top of the league, but then Golden State sort of phased in, beat him at his own game, and they were able to hold it together for longer and that, you know, chipped away at his titles. 
I think it's going to require a, a drastic reaction on his part. I don't see any way around it. And that's why I'm hoping yeah. for huge fireworks this summer. To me, the worst way this summer can play out if LeBron just decides, you know, I can't really talk myself into any of these situations, so I'm just going to continue being the man in Cleveland. To me, that would be the worst because he could probably still win the East or come very close, and it doesn't really create a gigantic threat against Golden State. And the more threats we have against Golden State, the more teams we have taking that Daryl Morey approach of you know pulling out all the stops, being obsessed with taking down the Warriors, the better. And I want LeBron to get in on that. You know, To me, it's really hard to make the case that Cleveland, the last 12 months, has been obsessed with beating the Warriors. They've been taking care of a lot of dirty laundry in-house, right? <laughs> they haven't even had time yeah. to like look at what Golden State's been doing. And that's true. That's why I want LeBron to kind of come up for air a little bit and rethink his whole uh, approach to, you know, how you compete for these championships. I do think it's it's a little bit more complicated though because if he goes somewhere else, suddenly the scrutiny is heightened where he's had a lot of built-in excuses in Cleveland and if he goes and tries to create a super team in LA for instance or goes to the Sixers like People are going to expect him to go win and and challenge the Warriors and beat the Warriors. Whereas now, I think Tim's point is is dead on that like people look at this and say, hey, the fact that he won in 2016 is incredible enough for for us, and we and we shouldn't ask him to beat the greatest team of all time or the greatest team ever assembled. Um, and so I think yeah. he's in a. a, a quietly good spot right now oh, he's um, in the shallow end but don't be afraid to jump you know let's 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 good. do it hey Let, let's not set him up for oh you know these moral victories of oh you know he's an icon and all this i mean lebron still has a lot of great basketball left to play and i'm saying test every option lebron let's see what the you one can come thing, up with think big the, <laughs> that's that makes sense i would just say i don't want him to do that because he feels like he needs to win six rings to match Jordan. Because I think he his case against Jordan is not going to be built upon rings. And, and I think there are a lot of people who are already ready to sort of go there and say, forget the titles. LeBron is great for five other reasons and is better than Jordan. And, and I don't really agree with that. But I don't think that rings are, are going to be like the tiebreaker either way. I hear you, but they help. <laughs> They'd help, <laughs> you know. Like if That's he true. if he gets four or five, I mean that everyone counts. You know, it, it's kind of like the Kobe thing too. I mean, Kobe is always trying to get himself in these conversations. If you if you judge off his tweets, and if he doesn't have the the four and five after that initial three p, he's never even in the conversation, right? And so uh, I agree that it's not that won't be the only determining factor. Uh, in the the debate that's going to rage forever, but having another third act where everyone just kind of thought LeBron's time to win was done, he was eclipsed by these younger stars, and that was that. You know, if he comes back with some big bold plan, gets himself on a new super team, and wins a title or two there, I mean, his legend gets bigger and bigger. We could talk about LeBron for the next five years straight. You know, I, I could see that happening, and and that's what I'm hoping for this summer. Yeah, I want him to go to LA just so that we can see how passive aggressive. Kobe will get next year and all the weird <laughs> tweets that we'll get from Kobe over the course of uh, 12 months. But um, let's move on here. The one big piece of news that we haven't discussed yet is on Thursday, the Sixers finally announced that they are parting ways, mutually agreed upon uh, part, to part ways with Brian Colangelo. 
Barack emailed in and said, first quick update for you guys. I just graduated law school. I just wanted to let you know since your podcasts have kept me sane along the way. I haven't been to B-dubs to celebrate being a grad yet, but I will get there eventually. Plus, now that I'm officially a JD, I can give you the following scoop. The reason the Colangelo investigation took so long is simple. The Sixers were trying to fire Colangelo for cause. If the Sixers could prove that BC released their proprietary information to the public, they could fire him without having to pay the millions left on his deal. Furthermore, by having a third party conduct the investigation, it will protect them from future liability down the road. So, number one, congrats, Barack, one of our favorite longtime listeners. Congrats on the law degree and definitely get to B-dubs as soon as possible. Uh, Hopefully your family hooked you up with a gift card. As to the Colangelo point, that's definitely correct and something we probably should have emphasized more on the last podcast. I think I was working from the assumption that they already had cause to fire him once his wife admitted that the accounts were hers and there was a clear link to Colangelo. But in any case, it's now done. Do you have any final thoughts on the saga that we've just lived through for the past 10 days? I mean, he exited in complete disgrace, didn't he? I mean, the statement he put out there throwing his wife under the bus, you know, saying he had no knowledge of where she got all this information from and, uh, you know, essentially saying that all the tweets were of her own volition and all this, uh, most of the information wasn't even accurate. It's not how he felt. Um, you know, for a guy who had multiple <laughs> burner accounts on the internet defending what a classy guy he was, I sure thought it was an undignified way to go. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, do you feel bad for him at all? I mean, first of all, if she really was doing all the tweeting, he's got himself a great wife. <laughs> she's right. She's ride or die. <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, if there's any way to lose your job, having a loyal spouse getting your back at every turn against every bot and every Philadelphia media reporter, <laughs> it's a pretty way to a pretty good way to go down. Um, across several different mediums as well she was on a couple different commenting platforms had multiple burner accounts it was impressive i mean in general if do i feel bad for him his dad got him the job and his wife cost him the job so no i don't feel bad for him now is he going to be able to find another landing spot you know i think it would be easier to not uh you know be quite as harsh if you knew that his career was going to eventually pick up you know and and certainly you would hope that he would have enough connections here that at some point you know he's able to get you know another front office job maybe not the main job but at least kind of continue to have a career in basketball because you never want to see a guy's life ruined for something uh, as silly as tweets and i think in a situation like that uh you know i would feel bad for anyone whose life you know basically got turned upside down because of you know something like twitter i mean that it's not something you can really prepare for and uh, you know, it would create a real identity crisis, uh, not to mention, you know, whatever, you know, familial issues uh, that that would create. At the same time, it was just unacceptable that that information was in public. He had to go. They took too long to fire him. I don't know why it took that long. I understand the forecast thing or whatever else, you know, Barack's putting out there. Like, <laughs> are you chasing, you know, the scrap millions that you owe Brian Colangelo? Or are you trying to chase titles and, and get LeBron James and Paul George around Joel Embiid? Mm-hmm. And Ben Simmons, you know, to me, like you're thinking pretty small if you're a little, you know, worried and hung up on the negotiation details of, of getting rid of Brian Colangelo. 
Um, I agree. I yeah. think that a, a more competent organization would have recognized within like 48 hours that it's a sunk cost and it's best to just move on as quickly as possible and try to sort of like spin this forward. Um, but that that's not the Sixers and the Sixers have been quietly dysfunctional and shaky from an ownership standpoint for like seven years. So it, that that's, this isn't new. Um, Let me ask you this. I'm, when you read what? his statement about his wife and, and sort of how it was her fault, you know, he essentially said that he had no knowledge of her tweets. Do you think she had knowledge of what statement he was going to put out? And if so, do you think that she okayed it? Because, like I said, he was coming after her pretty hard, basically saying she made it all up and it didn't represent his viewpoints and he hadn't given her any information uh, he really left her out there on a cliff. Do you think he like gave her a heads up on that, or do you think he just kind of put that statement out there and hope she didn't uh, didn't find it with one of her seven Twitter accounts? Well, I don't know. I don't think that would be like a point of contention for her. Um, I mean, she's been in full spin mode on on Colangelo's behalf for three years, and so I think like given how crazy this got, I I know that. My wife would probably be like, let's minimize damage however we can. I will take the hit. Whatever you need, let's make this go away <laughs> so she's and like, be as painless as possible. So she's like Paul Manafort or uh, Michael Cohen? I, th- I think so. I think so. Like, I will I will fall on this sword on your behalf. I, well, then I definitely if, don't feel bad for him. If that's the truth, great. You know, go have a nice life with your wife. Like, if, if, yeah. she, if she's going to take that kind of a... Uh, you know, a bullet for you, by all means, like, you know, give her an around the world vacation for the next two months and, uh, you know, find some nice beachfront property uh, to, to pay her back. I'm, I'm torn on the, on the pity for Colangelo question, because on the one hand, I think like he was caught up in this and, and first of all, I don't really believe him. I don't believe that he had no knowledge of this and the sequence of like, Three of the Twitter accounts going dark uh, before the Colangelo was even told of them. Like the whole thing is is just super questionable. But from a, from a broader standpoint, it's kind of a natural instinct for old people to to try to use social media and not really understand the full ramifications of it. And so I can see where some of those guys, like where his wife maybe, or if Colangelo had no knowledge. I can see where his wife would would look at it as like therapeutic venting and not not part of like a grander PR scheme. And uh, and if that's the case, and that's what winds up being Colangelo's undoing, like there's no question that's just a crappy way to go out. And I, I feel bad for him in that respect. But I also think he's still lying, and I also think he was bad at his job. And and wasn't the right guy to lead the Sixers for the next five years. So like the sympathy can only go so far in that, in that regard. Well, good. Cause it took three podcasts, but finally you brought the heat because you were giving this guy <laughs> so many benefits of the doubt the last couple of times. And I just never could see where you were coming from in terms of, Oh, letting him off the hook, or maybe there's this other excuse, or maybe he didn't. No, do it. all I was saying is it, it, it didn't seem plausible that he was simultaneously running all five accounts himself like i i i still think he was probably more involved in some of this than he has let on or the sixers are acknowledging but I like agree. it was mostly his wife um one more sixers well, question the information we were can we agree that she didn't just make up all that stuff 
you know, I mean. Yeah, definitely not. And I, but I also don't blame him for for telling her about that. Like I know another GM's wife who I've met who knows basketball really well because like I I feel like when you marry into some uh, like a family who whose life is basketball eventually you just spend like 30 years going to basketball games and being surrounded by scouts so like i i I feel like that is probably part of their relationship is just like venting about like joel Embiid's diet yeah absolutely but again that's why i don't draw a distinction whether it was him doing the accounts or her you know that's yeah yeah it's pretty clearly uh cut and dry i mean I do think the NBA needs to consider some of the social media ramifications that you were mentioning. Like, for example, remember when Aisha Curry tweeted that the NBA was rigged during the finals? Yeah. To me, that should have been a fine, you know, and in David Stern's NBA, that would have been a fine. I think that is damaging to the game. I think this Brian Colangelo thing is damaging to the game. I think that the players have social media policies that they have to adhere to. They used to be pretty strictly enforced. It seems like they've gotten a little bit looser on that. Uh, you know, under Adam Silver, but just because this has never happened before in terms of the Brian Colangelo saga doesn't mean it won't happen again or a similar situation could happen. And so I think the NBA this summer competition committee or whatever needs to come out with some policies in terms of like, you know, family members, uh, you know, proprietary information, all these things, because I think there's a mm-hmm. lot of legal risk here, not only for the individual teams, uh, but potentially for the league itself. And so I, I think there needs to be a greater takeaway from this entire saga other than Brian Colangelo threw his wife under the bus and, and lied and got fired. Uh, the greater right. takeaway should be everyone needs to be a little bit smarter on social media and the league needs to have very clear standards about what's okay, what's potentially fireable, what's finable. Uh, and I think it's it's actually past time for all that stuff. Yeah, I 100% agree. And uh I, I don't want to come out too hard because the NBA internet has been fun and ridiculous for the last six or seven years. And I think eventually, I mean, this is a perfect example, but I think eventually there's going to be some sort of inciting event like that involves a player that forces the NBA to come up with more draconian rules for like what guys can do online. And it'll probably involve the Sixers. It'll probably involve Embiid. And like 10 years from now, we're going to look back at this as like the wild, wild west of basketball internet. And um, so let's enjoy it while we have it. But you're right that eventually things are going to head that direction. I think I've already resigned myself to chaos. You know, I guess I don't hope that this is going to be the wild, wild west. I'm worried it'll probably get worse. All I'm saying is that the NBA needs to be a little proactive here (laughs) in uh, limiting the damage of the potential worst case scenarios as we go forward. Yeah, well, speaking of limiting damage and social media leaks, Matthew says, I'm sitting here listening to the newest episode of The Low Post, and they're obviously talking about the Colangelo situation. Zach Lowe is openly asking if video exists of Markel Fultz shooting while laying down. Andrew, I remember your pre-draft article from a year ago and an an accompanying video feature on SI about Fultz last year. I also clearly remember seeing footage of Fultz laying down, trying to make jumpers from his back at the end of a workout. Am I crazy? Uh, You're not crazy, Matthew. That's a good catch because as this has, uh, this detail has trickled out over the last couple weeks, 
I remembered back to my day with Markel Fultz, which was last April, I believe. It was right around the national championship game uh, during March Madness. And he was, he ended his workout shooting jumpers, lying flat on his back. And I didn't really give it a second thought because I thought like, that's just like a really intense workout and you know, whatever. And, um, but it's funny because the last week or so has, has forced me to do a double take and there is footage out there cause I put it on Instagram. And so I, I don't want to necessarily like blow up anyone's spot, but it is out there and it is, uh, kind of hilarious in retrospect. Andrew, this wasn't a good catch for Matthew. This was a remarkable, incredible, great catch for Matthew because <laughs> I read every word you write. I follow you on Instagram. I look at all your pictures and everything. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty tried and true sharp believer, despite what you might have thought, you know, through the first uh-huh. 45 minutes of this podcast. I had forgotten that you had exclusively reported how his trader was ruining his life. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, I had forgotten that detail, and it, uh, it was great uh, that you're kind of getting credit for having that. But remember, we used to joke that Fultz fell apart, uh, essentially coincided with when you spent time with them. Yes. Now you look at the damage that you've wrought on the Sixers. I mean, we could potentially draw a, a very clear line connecting dots between you doing a report on Fultz, you know, you threatening Ben Simmons at training camp, and now Brian Colangelo being fired in their entire offseason being ruined. Are you a sleeper agent? I mean, have you come here to destroy Philadelphia from the inside? Yeah, it's all been part of a long con to exact revenge on the process trusters who harassed me in like the year 2014. And uh, I have to say, the plan is going incredibly well. Soon, Rich Paul and David Griffin will be taking over in Philadelphia and hijacking that franchise. Joel Embiid will probably demand a trade in a year and a half, and uh, they're going to be left with LeBron and Markel Fultz, and like I'm sure they'll sign J.R. Smith and Melo. So it's going to be quite a ride for the Sixers, but I, I'm proud of how, how things have gone this far. Report, I'm proud of how I ruined the Sixers. Guys, run with it. <laughs> and on that note, Andrew, I think we should uh, probably part ways until wait, uh, next wait, wait. week. I have two, thi- two final oh. thoughts for you, okay? okay. No- number one. Speaking of Instagrams, I need you to to put the minivan on your Instagram because, first of all, it's been too long since you shamelessly promoted your Instagram on this podcast. And number two, I think the people demand it. The people want to see you what you've been carting around in in Cleveland this week. So that's number one. And number two, uh, with the finals winding down, listeners – Please send questions about the rest of the league for next week because we haven't talked about the draft at all, and I've got a draft feature that'll be running next week. But hit us with any questions you have because the finals are—I think we're on our last legs of uh, like Warriors arguments, and the NBA is about to get super weird. So we'll have fun with it. Just uh, everything is on the table beginning next week. Yeah, I'm Ben Golliver on instagram you're right it has been too long since i've plugged it so let me say it again i'm ben dot golliver on instagram look andrew i'll, I'll admit though uh, i didn't want to put the 
minivan photo on Instagram because I started getting well actually by people because remember I had said it could hold 30 people and I sent you a photo of it and right you know people were saying you know it looks like it could really probably only hold about 18 or 19 you know I, I'm not sure <laughs> so I didn't want to have to like put it on there and listen to the entire open floor globe try to like fact check me on, on the total capacity of this ridiculous van that I've been driving around for the last week but uh, people should email all questions like you're saying openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com draft questions and your biggest baddest NBA super team ideas how can LeBron extend his legacy how can somebody out there take the Daryl Morey approach of taking down these Warriors we want to hear from you uh, we love your creativity your logic and your passion Andrew, our listeners can also go to the Open Floor page on Apple Podcasts. Search Open Floor. It's two words. Find our page. uh, Scroll down to where it says rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. Like you always say, Andrew, we're the postmates of podcasts. Until next week, I will talk to you. (laughs) Yes, report. Open Floor is the postmates of podcasting. I will talk to you soon, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.